Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, the Bible tells us how God did that. That God spoke. And as God spoke, out of the abundance of his creativity, the universe began to spread out. That God said, let there be light, and there was light. That God said, let there be vegetation, and there was vegetation. And God said, let there be animals, and there was animals. And God said, let there be Britney Spears, and all the angels went, and God said, oops, I did it again. That God created everything by his spoken word. That God said, let it be, and the minute that God called it, he called it into being, right? Some of you are not quite sure to do with that, but in this church, right, we take what we do very seriously. We don't take ourselves too seriously, right? And I know that some of you do have Britney Spears on your playlist on Spotify, okay? So I'm just throwing that in there just for you, all right? But the Bible tells us that God created, and this is how he created, that God spoke and the universe came into being, that as God said, let there be light, there was light. Until God came to the sixth day, and then on the sixth day, God did something extra special, On the sixth day, the pinnacle of God's creativity, God created man. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, this is what the Bible says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, He created them. The Bible tells us that on the sixth day, God decides, I'm going to create man. The the climax of God's creativity, I'm going to create man in, in my image. In the image of God, he created us. And the Bible actually tells us how God did it. For the rest of creation, God spoke and the universe began to come into being. But when God came to create people, he did it a totally different way. God became far more intimate with his creation. When it came to creating mankind, God says, let us create man in our image. And then the Bible tells us how he did it. That God got down into the dirt and into the dust and he began to fashion Adam out of the dirt of the ground. And when he got Adam just right, he breathed into his nostrils and Adam became a living being. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 describes it for us. Genesis 2 and verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject. I believe you are created, you are made in the image of God. That we have started a series, which we began last week, looking at statements of what what we believe. But what do you really believe? I mean, deep down, what do you really believe about God? What do you really believe about yourself? What do you really believe about life? And so we began last week by looking at the fact that I believe God is good. That one of the things you've got to be absolutely sure of in your own soul is that God is good. It doesn't matter what else you believe about God that's right. If you miss that part, it'll totally affect the way that you relate to God. That God is good. Of all the words that the Bible uses to describe what God is like, my favorite is that God is good. And so last week we looked at God is good, but this morning I want to look at, I believe we're made in the image of God. If you can understand that simple truth, 
then it'll change everything else about your life. It'll change the way you see yourself. It'll change the way you see your future. It'll change the way that you see other people. And it'll also change the way that you see Jesus when you realize, I'm made in the image of God. This part's not in the Bible, but I imagine that this is kind of how it played out. That at the end of the sixth day after God had created, for five days straight, and then on the sixth day created Adam, that on the sixth day, that the angels noticed at the end of the day that God looked particularly chuffed. I mean, God's always excited. God's always got joy. I mean, God, God's always happy. But on the sixth day, he just looked extra happy. On the sixth day, he just looked a little extra excited. And so the angels had noticed, and so they went to God and said, God, we've noticed that you're a bit excited, and we've noticed over the last number of days you've been creating, and so we're just wondering, like, what's up? God was kind of chuffed that they'd noticed. And so he said, well, today I did something extra special. I mean, the climax of my creativity. I've been sort of working my way up to this, but I've really saved the best until last. And so, and so today, today, guys, I created people. Well, all the angels rocked back on their heels and like, wow. God, you created people. And then one of the angels asked the question that all the other angels were, asked, were wondering. God, what's a people? And so it was decided amongst the angels that in order to be able to work out what, in, what these people that God's created is like, because God's obviously very excited about them, they decided that they'd send one of the angels to go down and observe Adam in the garden to try and work out what are these people that God seems so excited about creating. And so it was the end of the sixth day and the angel went down and started to look around and began to observe Adam just from afar, but beginning to observe him and his interactions. And after several hours, he flew back up into heaven where all of heaven's angels were waiting with baited anticipation to hear about this people that God has created. And so there they are, tens of thousands of angels waiting to hear the report back about this people. But well, the angel began to try and describe what this people was, but he was sort of struggling. Have you ever tried to describe something to somebody, but they don't quite understand what it is you're describing? Right? And so what you do is you employ a method where you take something that's comparable that they might be familiar with, and then you try and explain it based off the comparable thing. Right? Like if you didn't understand what a mandarin was, then I would say to you, well, you know an orange, right? Well, a mandarin is kind of like an orange. Like it's a zesty fruit and it's got like a, 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 um, a citrus fruit. It's got a zesty sort of skin and it's kind of like an orange, but it's not quite so round. It's not quite as big. It's just a bit smaller. A mandarin is kind of like an orange. Um, if you didn't understand what rugby union was, then I would say, well, you know what rugby league is like. You know, there's a line of attack and a line of defense and, and you can try and you can kick field goals and you can kick penalty goals. And it's kind of the same, only there's not a tackle count. You can get tackled as many times as you like. But when you get tackled, you don't stand up to play the ball. Your whole team sort of dives on with you. You ruck the ball out, and then you go for the next play. It's kind of similar. Rugby union is a bit like uh, uh, rugby league. If you didn't understand what AFL was, I'd say, well, you know, you're familiar with ballerinas, right? You know how they kind of wear those, like, short and, and tight um, outfits and stuff like that? Well, just imagine a bunch of ballerinas chasing a balloon around an oval. It's a similar thing, right? Some of you are not going to listen to the rest of this message now as a result of that one joke. Well, the angels are all waiting with bated anticipation, like, what are, what are these people that God's created? And so the angel, trying to find a way to describe 
what, what these people are like and, and trying to search for something that might be comparable to try and help illustrate what people are like. Daniel says, well, it's kind of like, well, they kind of, well, you know what God is like. Because the truth is there is nothing in all of creation that so resembles God like you and I. Nothing else in all of creation is created in God's image, but you and I are. When God came to create us, he made us in his image. And when you begin to understand that I am made in the image of God, it'll change everything about your life. The first thing it'll do, it'll change the way that you see yourself. When you understand I'm made in the image of God, it'll change the way you see yourself because you'll begin to realize I have intrinsic value. We live in a world that doesn't understand the concept of intrinsic value. We live in a world and a culture that measures value by external things. Our culture measures a person's value based off what they own, but by what they wear, by how they look, by their level of social status. Edward Skidowski, writing in the Australian Financial Review, wrote this. He said, we care desperately what men and women say about us because there is now no longer any higher court of appeal. Failure in this world is absolute. The terrors of hell have been replaced by the terrors of social and sexual failure. If value isn't cosmic, then it's social. The truth is, Skidowski is right, and that's incredibly frightening for our world. In a world that has done away with God, has done away with the ideas of heaven and hell, that all that really exists is the here and the now. That we come from nothing, and we go to nothing after we die, and therefore our life has a sum total purpose of nothing. There's only the here and now to our existence. In a world that's framed its thinking like that and completely dismissed the idea of God, then there's only actually two things that really matter, our sexual prowess and our social status. And that's terrible news for most of us because most of us aren't Margot Robbie or Ryan Gosling. That's why we have a generation that's so discouraged, right? Because they've been brought up to believe that their value is determined by external things. That's why you watch, right, a culture that, that prizes itself and edifies itself by, by collecting things and wealth and stuff and possessions and collecting experiences and travel. But, but here's the truth, your self-worth and your net worth are actually not the same things. The value of a person's life is not determined by, by the externals. No, 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 you're made in the image of God, which means you have intrinsic value. Your value is not determined by valuables. You're made in the image of God. And so when you understand that, you understand you have intrinsic value and you can lose everything and still have lost nothing because the value of your life, the significance of your life actually comes from a much deeper place. Scientists did a study to reduce the human body down to its most basic chemical compounds. They found 50 of these different compounds, but Here's just a few of them for us this morning. They found that in your body, there's enough iron to make one nail. There's enough sugar to fill a small bowl. There's enough fat to make seven bars of soap. Some of us could go eight, nine, or ten. There's enough potassium to shoot a toy cannon. Do you know there's enough phosphorus in your body to make 200, uh, sorry, 2,200 match heads? Time Magazine found out about this and decided that they wanted to work out what would be the market value of those compounds on the market today. Here's what they found out. We're worth about nine bucks fifty. Isn't that amazing? How amazing is God? For nine bucks fifty, right? For less 
than the cost of a Big Mac meal. He got somebody who can walk and talk and dream and, 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 and come on, for nine bucks fifty. I mean, God, he, he, he's so shrewd. Here's the truth. The more ordinary they try to point out you and I are, doesn't that just point out how extraordinary God really is? That you and I are made in the image of God. And that ought to change the way that we see ourselves. Not only do we realize we've got intrinsic value, we are made in the image of God, but but we also start to identify our lives with higher things. In 1996, the Copenhagen Zoo announced that for two weeks only, they were going to have a glass exhibit where you could come and watch two live, fully clothed Homo sapiens. That's right, for two weeks only, at the Copenhagen Zoo, you could come and observe two live people in captivity. But when asked why they were putting on the exhibit of these two people in the glass cage, the curator of the zoo pointed out to demonstrate that people really just are another species of animal. After all, don't you realize that humans and chimpanzees share 98.5% of the same DNA? When I heard that, I thought, man, what a difference 1.5% makes. (laughs) And so for two weeks, while the monkeys swung from branches and scratched their armpits and sniffed each other's butts, The humans sent and received emails, planned an extension on their home, listened to classical music, ordered takeaway, had visits from their friends, were allowed to leave their enclosure so they could go to the bathroom with some dignity. It turns out there was a marked difference between the people and the chimps. With the two weeks drawing to a close, a journalist asked the question that was always going to be asked. They asked, you know, all the other animals do. And so we're just kind of wondering while you're in here, Will you be having sex? The lady took great offense at the question, kind of sniffed at the reporter and said, of course not. What do you think we are? Well, it's pretty obvious what the Copenhagen Zoo think we all are. That that we live in a culture that's trying to get people to identify with the lowest common denominator. That's trying to convince people that you are simply a higher species of a lower life form, which is completely in contrast to the fact that God created us in his image. In fact, not only did he create us in his image, but when God came to create mankind, he didn't simply speak it. That was good enough for the rest of creation. That was good enough for the sun, moon, and stars. That was good enough for the ocean and for the great big blue whales and for everything else in creation. But when it came to mankind, God didn't speak us into being. No, no, he got down intimately acquainted and he fashioned us out of the dirt and he breathed life into Adam. Why? Because in a culture that wants to convince us that we are the highest species of a lower life form, God is declaring, no, 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 there's a total disconnect here because you are made in my image. There is nothing in all of creation that more resembles me than you. But we wonder why people live and behave like animals. It's because we've tried so very hard to convince them that they are. And then we're surprised why they behave that way. Scarlett Johansson, the the actress, uh, was telling Vanity Fair magazine, I don't believe monogamous relationships are natural. She said, I don't believe monogamous relationships are natural. When asked why she believed that, she said, well, look at the animals. They're not monogamous. It goes against our animal instincts to be in monogamous relationships. But when I heard that, I thought to myself, when you start looking at your neighbor's dog for ways to be able to conduct yourself sexually, then we've reached a low point indeed. And the truth is, as stark as that is, that's not that far from where our culture actually resides. 
Francis Bacon said this. He said, we are akin to the beasts with our bodies. But if we are not akin to God by our spirit, then we are wretched and terrible creatures indeed. Can I read that for you again? We are akin to the beasts with our body, but if we are not akin to God by our spirit, then we are wretched and terrible creatures indeed. And he's right. I'm flesh and blood. And so there's a part of me that identifies with lower things. But, but, but I'm also soul and spirit. I'm made in the image of God, which means I also identify with higher things. And so in a culture that wants me to identify with the lowest common denominator, God comes to share, hey, you're made in my image. Don't identify yourself with, with lower things. Yeah, there's a part of you that's flesh and blood, but, but you're also soul and spirit. Come, come on, we, we're made in the image of God. That's why we ask questions like, what's the meaning of life? And who am I really? There has never been a moment where your dog has ever thought, I know they call me Rover, but who am I really? Only you and I do that. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. And so there is a soul and a spirit to us which identifies with higher things. Have you ever wondered about cutlery and why we use cutlery? Is it just social conditioning or is it just a tradition that's been passed on over time? The Jewish people have a concept for the reason why we use cutlery. The idea is this, that our food comes from the ground, from the dirt. It's just base material. And so it would be inappropriate for me to take my head, which represents my, my mind, my intellect, my emotions, that the soul and spirit part of me, it would be inappropriate for me to take my head, representing the God part of me, and lower it to the point of my food. Instead, what I do is I take my food, which has come from the ground, and using a knife and a fork, I elevate my food to the place of my mouth. Instead, I elevate it. And this, common, this um, concept demonstrates how I approach every area of my life as a Christian. It doesn't matter what I put my hand to, I want to seek to give it significance. I want to seek to give it nobility. I want to begin to elevate that the different things that I put my hand to and I put my life to, I want to begin to elevate them, not to lower my life, but, but begin to elevate it and give it significance. Why? Because I'm not an animal. I'm not a base being. I'm made in the image of God, and so I identify with higher things. But that's why when you come to a church like this, we'll talk about visions. Why? Because I want you to begin to identify with higher things. We'll talk about dreams. We'll talk about visions. We'll talk about your destiny and about your identity and start to encourage one another. Come on, why don't we do something great together? Why? Because we understand we're made in the image of God, which means we have intrinsic value, but it also means that we identify with higher things. Because we believe our identity is in God and not with the dirt. Here's the second thing it changes. It changes the way you see your future. Do you know uh, this month, the month of August, it's been 190 years since slavery was abolished throughout the Commonwealth. It's been 190 years. The 28th of August, 1833 is when that law was passed. There was a law passed in England, but then for the rest of the Commonwealth, that, that was passed this month, 190 years ago. And none of it would have ever been in place if it wasn't for one man called William Wilberforce. At age 21, he was elected to the British Parliament. He lived in the 1700s and the early 1800s, and he lived a life of relative ease. He was 21 years old and he was a parliamentarian. And so he did what parliamentarians do, right? They sort of, for half the year, they get together and argue about things and that they don't resolve. And then for the other half of the year, they eat scones and shake hands and kiss babies. 
He was 21. He had a great life. He had a wonderful life, and at the age of 26, he happens to share a stagecoach with a guy called John Newton. John Newton is famous for the song that he wrote, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Some people take offense to that word wretch. They think it's not very PC. In fact, in some of the Amazing Grace uh, versions you'll hear today, that word wretch has been replaced by the word soul, who saved a soul like me. But John Newton used the word wretch because that was an apt description for actually how he viewed his life before Christ. If he was writing the song today, he'd say, who saved a mongrel like me. But because before he was a Christian, he was a rather cruel man. He was a man who had made his living sailing boats from Africa to the outposts of the Commonwealth selling black African people as slaves for his own profit. One night during a particularly dangerous storm where he feared that the boat would break apart and his life would be lost at sea, he prayed a desperate prayer. You ever prayed prayers that are a bit desperate? Well, Newton prayed, God, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are, then save me from the storm and I promise I'll quit the slave trade and serve you. Well, he was rescued from that from that uh, great storm, and he was true to his word. He left the slave trade, he ended up becoming a Christian, and then later a Christian minister. And here he is staring a stagecoach with this young parliamentarian, William Wilberforce, this 26-year-old young guy. And Newton starts to share while they're in the stagecoach together about the love of Jesus. Wilberforce describes that his heart was strangely warmed, and he gives his life to Christ right there on the train. He returns to his office, and he begins to thank God for his salvation that God loves him, that, that, God's got a, that God has saved him, that, that when he dies, he's going to go to heaven and, and be with Jesus. But then a thought occurs to him, I'm only 26 years old and it's a long time between now and, and when I'm going to go to heaven. And so he asks the question that, that he ought to have asked, God, what do you want to do with my life? Why? Because he understands I'm made in the image of God. I've got to do something with my life that reflects the one in whose image I'm made. If I'm made in God's likeness, then I should be like God. I should use every fiber of my being to do something that reflects that fact. And so God speaks to Wilberforce's heart. He says, I've called you to abolish slavery from the Commonwealth and to reform your culture. You know, the truth is today that that slavery is abhorrent to us, but because one man said, God, if I'm made in your image, then I want my life to reflect that fact. Slavery is abhorrent to us, but it was because one person was willing to do that, right? Here's the truth. When you understand I'm made in the image of God, you understand I've got intrinsic value. It changes the way you see yourself. But it also begins to change the way you see your future because you begin to identify with higher things. So so let me ask you this morning, how do you see your life? How do you see your future? Maybe you're sitting there this morning thinking, well, there's nothing particularly significant about my life. I mean, I just work in a coffee shop. You know, I just, I just work in a supermarket. You know, I just run a small business to provide for my family. I'm not really doing anything that significant. You know, I'm just a mum just trying to make things work for our home. Like, like, what? like, I'm not really doing anything significant. But here's the truth. The task of a Christian who understands I'm made in the image of God is to lay a hold of whatever ordinary task is in your hand and to find a way to elevate it and to give it nobility and significance. Why? Because you're created in the image of God. You're made in the image of God, so do something with your life that looks like Him. Many of us would not be familiar with the name Bob Pierce, but many of us would be familiar with his work. As a young adult, Bob Pierce left his home in North America to to travel and see the world with Youth for Christ. 
He took not much more than a video camera with him. And when he got to China, he saw the devastation of the Chinese Civil War. He witnessed the wartime destruction of hospitals and schools and churches. And so this young adult who set off to see the world gets to China and says, I can't go any further. What broke his heart particularly was these beautiful children who'd been abandoned in poverty. No shelter, no food, no clothing. And so he began to pray these fervent prayers. He began to pray, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Another pastor, Pastor Richard Helston, wrote about Pierce's life. He said he prayed more earnestly and opportunately than anyone else I ever I have ever known. Pierce understood if I'm a Christian person, then I can't overlook what I've seen, and so I've got to do something about it. And so he stopped his trip no further than China. And what he did is, is he went back to America with this great passion because he realized these beautiful children, they're made in the image of God. They're like me. I'm made in the image of God. I can't overlook this. And so he returned to North America with his video footage and he went from church to church showing the kids on the big screen and pleading with congregations of Christians for just a dollar a day, you can sponsor one of these kids. You can educate and feed and clothe them. And as a result, World Vision was born. Why? Because one young adult who went to China with a video camera decided, you know what, if I'm made in the image of God, then I can't overlook these things that I'm seeing. I've got to do something about this. And so he did. And well, vision today has helped lift millions of people out of poverty because one man realized if I'm made in the image of God, then I've got to do something with my life that reflects God and brings him glory. Why? Because we ought to identify with higher things. We are made in the image of God. When you understand that, it'll change the way you see your career. It'll change the way you see Monday. It'll change the way you walk past people, right, in, in your university course. It'll change the way you see the person behind the, the, the counter who's, who's um, checking through your groceries. You'll begin to see your future different. Here's the third thing. It changes the way you see others. If you understand that you're made in the image of God, then yes, it changes the way you see yourself. You realize you've got intrinsic value. And it changes the way you see your future because you begin to identify with higher things. But it also changes the way you see other people. You start to realize that we ought to give high value to the lowest members of society. Why? Because every single person is made in the image of God. I remember hearing the story of a young girl, a local girl, Queensland girl, who at age 26 had finished, her name's Rebecca, she'd finished her university degree, and before she jumped into her career, decided, I want, I, want to go and, I want to go and help somewhere in the world. But before I you know, start my career and end up with a mortgage where I owe the bank a whole lot of money, um, I want to go and do something. And so she'd been on a short-term mission trip to Cambodia and decided that she would go and try and make a difference in Cambodia. I remember hearing her story, and in the time that she was in Cambodia, Cambodia had been affected by, Cambodia has been affected by a genocide, and there's a lot of needs there's a lot of poverty in Cambodia. And so one of the things that she did in the time that she was there is she adopted two young children. I remember hearing the interview where she began to share that she had adopted these two children and the person who's interviewing her said, well, you're 26 years old, you're a single girl, an Aussie girl living in Cambodia, one of the poorest places in the world, and you've adopted two children. And the girl, Rebecca, began to cry as she's being interviewed. She said, you, you got to understand, I really love these kids. These kids, are, they're HIV positive. Nobody else will care for them. In, in Cambodia, uh, one of the prevailing religions is Buddhism. 
right? And the idea of Buddhism is actually, that, well, one of the ideas is the idea that you're reincarnated. That the life you live now, right, in luxury or poverty, right, is determined by the life you lived previously, and so you keep on being reborn over and over and over again. Buddhism in the West is kind of like a bit trendy, but in Cambodia they really believe that stuff, right? And so there was a generation of people under Pol Pot's regime who were really bad people. That they, com they committed genocide to about a third of the population. And so as a result, when these babies are born with HIV, when the prevailing philosophy is you're reincarnated, the assumption is, well, these babies have been born at the most difficult and the hardest place. Therefore, they must have been a part of Pol Pot's regime because they really believe that reincarnation stuff. And so for these children, they're left neglected. They're treated like they could have been one of the generals under Pol Pot's regime because that's the prevailing belief system. And so this girl, 26 years old, young Aussie girl, takes these two kids in. And as she's being interviewed, she begins to well up with tears, describing just how much she loves and cares for these kids. I remember listening to the interview and thinking, we need to hold like a ticker tape parade for Rebecca. I mean, what an incredible girl. That to be at 26 years old, finish her uni degree, move to Cambodia, take on these two kids, uh, bring two strangers into her home in this way and to love them and to care for them and to feed them and to clothe them. And then in addition to all the other things she was trying to do to help people in Cambodia, I thought, man, we need to like tell the mayor. Like we need to get like the keys to the city. Like we need to celebrate this. This should be on TV. Someone should put this on a humankind TV show, right? When Angela's like, we, we need to do some of that because this girl's amazing. And then it kind of struck me as odd that actually that would be my response. Because it is amazing what Rebecca has done. But after all, isn't that what Christians do? Don't we believe that every person is made in the image of God and therefore it is our desire to be able to place high value on the lowest members of society? Didn't Jesus say something about that? That whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me? Right, Matthew 25, let me read it for you. Matthew 25 verse 40. Just as Jesus telling the story, he said, then the king will reply, I tell you, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say on those, to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and he never gave me anything to eat. I was thirsty and he never gave me anything to drink. I was a stranger and he did not invite me in. I needed clothes and he did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and he did not look after me. Verse 44, and they will answer... Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or in need uh, or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And then Jesus says, and he will reply, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. Why does Jesus underline this story for us? Because if we're made in the image of God, it should change the way we see ourselves and it should change the way we see our future. But it, also, it ought to have a devastating effect on the way we see other people. It changes the way you see your neighbor. You know that person who doesn't throw the tennis balls back over the fence? That person who parks on your lawn? That person who plays music late at night? That person is made in the image of God. Come on, some of you are school teachers. That it changes the way you see that kid that sits in your class, doesn't it? Who always gives you attitude and never does what you ask them to do and who's rude and arrogant and ungrateful. But if you scratch beneath the surface, you'll find that that young person is made in the image of God. That one of the things that ought to break our hearts, say, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Help us to see people, God, the way that you do. That the young mullet-wearing, scooter-riding kids who terrorize Parklands Boulevard, they're created in the image of God. And so all the neighborhood Facebook pages wants to try and put a stick in their spokes 
right? But you and I understand, yes, that there's a whole lot of things on the externals of those young boys' lives. Those young men are made in the image of God and if they could understand that, man, it would totally change the trajectory of their life. I want a church like that. I want a church where when we come across people that live on the Sunshine Coast, it doesn't matter if they're sleeping on a park bench or they're sleeping in a five-star hotel. It doesn't matter if they're brilliant or if they're terrible. It doesn't matter if they believe they have a future or if they don't believe they have a future. It doesn't matter if they drive the latest sports car or if they're riding the bus, that, that you and I, every person we meet, that we would see Jesus looking back at us because we would be the ones who would instill worth and value because even if they don't know it yet, we know it. They're made in the image of God. As the worship team comes back this morning, here's the fourth one. When you realize that you're made in the image of God, it also changes the way that you see Jesus. If you understand, I'm made in the image of God, then it changes the way I see myself. I've got intrinsic value. Not based on the externals of my life. No, no, I've got intrinsic value. It changes the way I begin to see my future because I begin to identify my life with higher things. And I begin to seek even the ordinary things that I do that maybe I've not even seen significance in before, I begin to pray, God, help me to take the ordinary parts of my life, the seemingly insignificant, and give those things significance and nobility. And let me, in the way that I conduct myself, right, in my touch-up business, let it bring glory to you. Let it be in the way that I raise my children. God, let it bring glory to you. In the way that I lecture at the university and have these young students come, that, that I would bring glory to you. When I'm going to quote on an electrical job at somebody's house, running my business and providing that I would bring glory to you because, God, I'm made in your image. That it would change the way that I see others. That nobody else might be able to see it, but I can see it because I know these people, just like me, they're made in the image of God. And everybody else might dismiss them, but God counts us as precious and important. So, God, if they're important to you, then they're important to me. I'm willing to look beyond what everybody else looks at. I realize the value is not on the outside. The value is on the inside. I can look past the mullet. But but also it begins to change the way that I see Jesus. Bill Bryson is a travel writer who wrote a book called A Short History of Nearly Everything. Bryson, you've got to understand, is an atheist. He's a devout atheist. Completely dismisses the idea of God. He's an evolutionist. Doesn't believe in any of the Genesis account of creation. Listen to what he writes because it's such an incredible insight into human nature. In his book, A Short History of Nearly Everything, he writes, it's a strange thought that we might be the universe's supreme achievement and its worst nightmare. Bryson, he's an atheist, he doesn't believe in God. He's an evolutionist, he doesn't believe in the creation account. And yet, as he observes the world around him, he's thoughtful enough to be able to say, it's a strange thing to me, I can't quite work this one out. It kind of seems to me like Like mankind might be the universe's supreme achievement, and yet at exactly the same time, it also seems like we might be its worst nightmare. What a profound insight into human nature. That here is a man who doesn't understand Genesis or believe in Genesis 1, 2, or 3. But actually what he's describing is the first three chapters of Genesis. That we are God's supreme achievement. We are created in the image of God. And yet at the same time, he says we're like, It's like we're the universe's worst nightmare. Why? Because for each one of us, we're creating the image of God, but we're also, the Bible says, as a result of sin, we're afflicted by sin. 
But we see that true, right? We see that true in history. From the same human seed came Mother Teresa and also Adolf Hitler. How do you figure that out? That it seems like that there's a part of us, right? That you're not just looking at other people, even if you just look at yourself. It's true of each one of us as individuals. That there's a part of me that, that, that understands, I, I want to be able to do good things. I want to be able to make a difference in the world. And yet at the same time, that there's also a part of me that, that's afflicted by sin. And so it's true for each of us that there's like these two things that are warring on the inside. That there are days when I can surprise myself with just how caring I can be. Like I surprise myself. It's scary. How caring and generous I can be. How benevolent I can be. How thoughtful I can be. How kind I can be. And yet, in the same afternoon, I can shock myself at just how selfish I can be. Or how impatient I can be. Or how I can overlook things that maybe Elise has done. Or, or, or Now I'm just talking about me, but pretend like this applies to you as well, right? I can shock myself how caring I can be, but then raise my voice to discipline my kids. It's like there's these two things warring within me. Bryson, who doesn't even believe in God, said, it's this funny thing about human nature, that, that it seems like there's these two things happening at the same time. That there's a part of me that's just like Jesus, but there's another part of me that's at war. That's the part that's called sin. The Bible describes that as the weight of sin. That sin seeks to pull down that which God intended to be good. The Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer said this. He said, mankind is a glorious ruin. Isn't that a true statement? That mankind is a glorious ruin. There is something so glorious about us. And yet at the same time, there is something so ruinous about us. Well, what it points out for each one of us is that every single one of us have exactly the same need. And therefore, every single one of us need exactly the same solution. His name is Jesus. That we don't need a preacher to point it out. We don't need a philosopher. To point. We kind of know it in our own heart. It's been our own experience. Has it not? We don't have to go searching in our own life for that, for that dichotomy where there's part of us that seeks to do great things and do something good and noble with our lives and another part of us that shocks us at just how selfish we can be. Every person needs repentance. Every single person. To be able to come to God and say, God, I need to turn from living this life the way I want I need to turn, not just aimlessly in any direction, but God, I need to turn on my heels away from this life of sin and I need to turn towards you. I need to repent. I need to start running in your direction that every single one of us needs that. That every single one of us needs to find salvation in Jesus. To be justified and forgiven before God so that it's just as if I'd never sinned that God would completely forgive me of all of my transgressions, those things that I've done and those things that I will yet do. That I would receive repentance, forgiveness, justification, forgiveness. That I'd receive healing. That God would heal the broken parts of my life and make me whole. And so I want this morning, I've only really got one point. It's this. You are made in the image of God. If from the last two Sundays you would walk about your week and say, I know that God is good. And I know that I'm made in the image of God. Next week I'll give you a third one. But, but today, that you would leave today knowing I am made in the image of God. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. 
Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day. And until next time, bless you.